The Wolf and Bull podcast was prepared, conducted, and hosted by the Wolf and Bull team in their personal capacity. This podcast is for expressive listening entertainment, and any views, ideas, or opinions may or may not extend past the boundaries of this podcast. Conversations or specific comments on behalf of the hosts and guests are for entertainment purposes only. Due to language and potentially offensive topics, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Wolf and Bull Podcast. I am your host, Cam, a.k.a. The Wolf. And I have my awesome co-host sitting directly across from me, Chris, the a.k.a. Bull. The Bull. We are so excited to get started, and we have an incredibly special guest with, incredibly special guest with us today in the studio. Uh, the 24th Sheriff of Pinal County, the valedictorian of his deputy academy, featured on Fox News, Newsmax, Live PD, and he even has his own NFT. The Honorable yes. <laughs> Sheriff Mark Lamb. Welcome to the Wolf and Bull oh, thank Podcast. You, Cam. Yes, thank you, Cam. Thank you, Wolf. Welcome. Bull. There thank you go. You. Yeah. I love the cowboy hat, yeah. by the way. That's <laughs> awesome. In your honor. Yes, yeah. I, I know love it. I know it's yeah. a black hat, but... Hey, you, you know, know it's, it's all I had. Well, I, I feel left out. I mean, I'm clearly not dressed for the occasion. I'm, I'm, I'm not in the. You haven't the, uh, graduated to the, you know, goatee hat. Well, I'm not in the. I'm not in the. You haven't lost enough hair yet. Yeah, exactly. Start wearing a hat. Exactly. Yeah. Just before we get started, uh, just a quick reminder for our listeners: if you like what you hear and you want to support our team to continue to create content, content we're doing, uh, then make sure to follow us on Instagram for the latest update updates. Uh, maybe a subscription on YouTube and make sure to give us a five-star review on all major listening platforms. Uh, our team believes in holistic straight from the source content and we can't wait to produce more for you. So, Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, how's yeah. everything? How's everybody doing? How's your week going? Oh, my week's going great. Yeah. Like I, my weeks are always going great. That's awesome. Uh, busy as usual, by. but oh, they fly by. This year's flying by. Every day flies by. I was just talking to my dispatchers yesterday and we were talking because we changed their from 12 hour shifts to 10 hour shifts. Hmm. And they said, I was asking them if they liked it. And I said, honestly, if somebody were to offer me eight hours more in a day, I would take it. Yeah. You yeah. know, but when you used to be a paid employee, you couldn't, you watch the clock. You couldn't wait to hit your 10 hours or your 12 right. hours and go home. Yeah. Now, honestly, there's not enough time in the day. So. Well, it's, uh, it's all about getting it done, right? Yeah. It so is. You have all those goals you're setting for yourself and all those, you know, things you're trying to achieve on all kinds of levels for you, I am sure. Mm -hmm. And the clock just goes, whoo, whoo. It does. It's fast. I mean, when I look at the clock and it's three, four o'clock, I'm like, no, no, I still have so much to do today. <laughs> That's awesome. But, yeah, and, and, you know, really it's all about balance too because yeah. you've yeah. got the job and you got the family. Those those things you need to tie up real I'm tight. I'm probably doing you know? better at the job piece than I am the family piece. <sighs> Are we but, all? That's yeah, <laughs> probably. Is that is that one of the guy downfall things? Is it? Is it, do you think? Yeah, because, my dad was a workaholic. Yeah. I'm a workaholic. Yeah. I uh, I could work and work and work. I think last month night I got home at 9.30. Tonight will probably be 8.30. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just part of the gig, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. indicative of someone who loves what they do. And yeah. I think specifically, you know, in, in, in your 
area of work it's it's needed these days specifically so yeah uh but yeah let's go ahead and jump right into the monologue um, fire away Wolfie. yeah i'm gonna go ahead and yeah give me some sound that music going music going uh america the most perplexing yet simultaneously easy to understand country in the world we're currently in the teenage angst stage of development and it shows immensely many profess to love freedom yet are unwilling to voice opposition to those that engage in tyranny as Thomas Paine once stated, the greatest tyrannies are always perpetrated in the name of the noblest causes. The road to hell is paved in good intentions, after all. The last few years, as often discussed on the show, have been weird to say the least. Across the country, politicians have deemed the best way to stay in power is to support criminality, while civ civilians have determined the best way to prevent the negative impact of crime is to engage in it in themselves. Foreign policy decisions that had positive net impacts were reversed, and legal immigration has been considered a pointless endeavor by most on the political far left. Major metropolises, yeah, such as Los Angeles, New York, <laughs> Baltimore, Chicago, Philadelphia, and more, have all decided to shrug in the face of self-created crime waves. Opioid use, specifically fentanyl, is at an all-time high, pun not intended, and I can understand why we keep having to witness new, uh, when we keep having to witness new and creative gaffes from the marketing department of 10% to the big man LLC. Many of these issues aren't new necessarily, but they definitely have seemed to grow over the last few years, and the best way to discuss these issues, at least in my personal opinion, is to go straight to the individuals who have the most experience with trying to prevent these problems in the first place, which is why we're speaking with the Honorable Sheriff Lamb. Ah. Yeah. Love it. Very great good. monologue. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I and let me tell night. you, I've only, the only person I've ever heard quote, and I'm not, I'm, obviously people have, but you're the first person I've heard other than me quote that quote from Thomas Paine. Yeah. It's a great The greatest quote. tyrannies are always perpetrated in the name of the noblest causes. Well, and it's unfortunately true, um, which <laughs> most people don't understand how true it is these last few years. Um, I, you know, when I was in college, when I met my, my uh, wife known as Beowulf, um, <laughs> we, uh, we were in political science class and I originally wanted to get in politics. Uh, and then I realized that I'd have to sell my soul. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I decided not to. Uh, but yeah, I'm a huge uh, supporter of de Tocqueville personally. Uh, I consider myself a constitutionalist first, much like yourself, um, libertarian second. So I've got kind of mm. like an interesting mix going on there um but yeah last few years have been just i too like to tocqueville yeah 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 Good. I think, well, you know, we're, we're, all at, we're on. You landed yeah. a well-educated son-in-law. Yeah. yeah. I try, I try well, he, he's been around a while. He's had to go through some phases, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh, my you know, you know, wolves do not start out alpha. <laughs> no, no, they're always they the start out. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. well, I, I learned from the bull. You know, that's where I went. <laughs> yeah. Well, you talk about how um, the tyrannies of it. And I always tell people, I like, the, the devil's not going to show up with horns and a red no. face and, and fangs, he shows up in a three piece suit mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he it's death by a thousand cuts, yep. which is why I'm so vocal about the things that I think are uh, pervasive on society and encroaching uh, or pa surpassing the limits of what the constitution set. So yeah, yeah. I, I actually think I've, I've heard a quote from you, the Redditor, I heard it. New levels, new devils. That's right. right? That's yep. good. And that's, God, that can't be more apropos. Every time you reach a new threshold, every time you get to a goal where you think, okay, I get a second to relax, don't do it. No. Yeah. Because something's going to come along to, to force you to get into a fight. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll definitely get into it uh, on yeah. this episode. I, I, I personally, it, it, 
I, I love seeing, you know, law enforcement officers such as yourself actually speaking positively about the country. Um, I think that a lot are silent, uh, unfortunately. Um, now, granted, I, I see the changes when it comes to populism. I see the, the nationalist, um, you know, desire within America. And I don't necessarily think those are bad things. Um, part of me wishes that there would be some opposition to the tyranny, especially the soft tyranny um, that's going on lately. So who knows? Maybe things will change. Uh, well, you know, it, hopefully tyranny, they do. tyranny gets hidden a yeah, lot of times yeah. behind, frankly, behind the way media exposes things. Yeah. And so there's agendas, both overt and hidden. Mm -hmm. And the problem is trying to decipher what's what sometimes. Yeah. You got to wade through all that. And well, the thing that I find very interesting about, and this, this is something that I've, I've, you know, watched over the last couple of years, little bits and pieces about you. And then recently, of course, studying up for today going, okay, yeah, he, he's just going to say what he thinks. And I'm, you know, everybody can say, oh, that's refreshing. And it, <laughs> but it's unusual. It is it just unusual. Is. Most people are trying to couch things for an audience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you necessarily do that very much. And you no, are in I, politics, I, right? I'm not smart enough to do it. Oh, I honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep it all straight if I try to be somebody I'm not. And yeah. so, you know, in this society, I was just talking to somebody today about that, about how you have to really be cognizant of everything you're saying. But then at the same time, I'm not. Mm -hmm. It's, I say what I believe in my heart. I've let these things permeate me and be my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so when I say it, I don't really have to worry about whether I'm saying something that they're going to nick, uh, you know, tear apart or nitpick. I'm able to just say it. And I already know, and they know, like most of the haters that I have, the media and those types of people that want to uh, constantly nitpick at me. I've consistent in what I've said. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for them to find it. They still do. They still find fault, but they'll twist something. Yeah. They'll yeah. spin it the way they want to spin it. But I think that's a, that's a, a trademark that has obviously served you very well. It has. Well, you'd think you'd, you'd think the media would want the best for, for law enforcement and for, um, you know, the justice system and for the American people. Cause all, all that trickles down eventually. And obviously there's a inverse where it trickles from the American people up top, but still uh, it's, it astonishes me that the, uh, and we've done episodes on this before the, the complete failure of the mainstream media is just, uh, it's almost mind boggling. Um, and we mind boggling in, in kind of intentional. Yeah. It looks like yeah. to me. Well, and here's the so. thing is I, I like to, I like to hold both sides accountable. Yeah. Um, like being in the middle, I, I see benefits to some arguments more so these days on the conservative side. And that's probably a little bit to do with the fact that I'm getting older. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, <laughs> and you started being well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you got to put yeah. wiser in there at yeah, the same yeah. time. Yeah. Well, wiser. That's, that's kind of a bull trait. Not well, a wolf well, trait. The, the trauma of the <laughs> pandemic has just you know, aged me significantly. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I like to hold both sides accountable and it seems like one specific side is more focused on tribalistic, you know, nature um as opposed to holding themselves accountable you know you could be right. a part of the left and say anything as long as you come out and say oh yeah we'll give you free college and you know whenever in 10 years five years um which never is never gonna happen um but yeah before we jump into it let's uh, let's do a quick intro you know of you sheriff lamb um you know, i'd love to provide our listeners with some additional information about you um by the way i know i said this earlier but belated happy birthday thank you um you currently have a lovely family a wife and five kids and you personally lived in Hawaii, Philippines, Panama, and Argentina. What brought you back to Arizona? So my dad was from uh, Arizona. My dad was a graduate of Thunderbird Business College, which is a global management business school. 
Um, so he loved living overseas. And so we were born in Hawaii. Um, and then we moved to the Philippines when I was 11. What ha- what the business we were going to have in the Philippines didn't really work out. So we ended up back in Arizona as a regrouping, which is where all of our family was. So moved to Chandler. It's where my dad grew up. And I went to junior high and high school there. That's awesome. While I was in high school, my family moved to Panama. My dad was always fascinated with Panama. They use the American dollar. Um, the Americans have had a strong presence in Panama for 100 years. Right. And uh, he loved it. And so he moved to Panama. So then I had spent the majority of my, I spent all my summers, Christmas vacation. I was there when Operation Just Cause, when they invaded oh, Panama. That's, oh that's, that's, um, that's cool. Yeah, I was. Well, it was probably not cool at the well, time. yeah. But, you know, you, it, I still thought it was cool. It's because, got, well, it's well, cool. I like How that old kind of stuff. You? Teenager, I was 17. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then uh, served a mission for my church in Argentina. That's awesome. And uh, I, honestly, I talk about it in my book. What has developed such a strong love for country mm-hmm. is the fact that I've lived other places and I know how those countries can be. And yeah. look, those are beautiful countries, mm-hmm. but they're not America. No. You know, I think I think that statement right there is something that I, I, I wish that anybody out there listening, watching, whatever, if you take, even if it's a long-term travel, but if you take a year out of your life and go to another place, and I'm not talking go to... You know downtown Paris. I'm not. Well, maybe that might be a place too. I don't know. It's, it is but, pretty different. But, <laughs> but if you get an, to experience, especially in a, in a country that doesn't have our quote unquote advantages, yeah, you'll you'll respect the fact that you live and were born and raised right. in this country. It'll it'll a hundredfold. No question. I've always said if you wanted, to, I hate government programs. I don't like them. But if you wanted to put an effective government program in place. Make every 18-year-old American live one year outside of this country. You can pick where you want to go. You can go to the Bahamas. You can go anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. They'll cover your rent. They'll cover your food. And your job is to live there for a year. I promise you, you will come back home uh, kissing yeah. the ground that you that you walk on. Yeah. Because this is the greatest country in the world. Yeah, and I totally agree. And Now, Hilo, Hawaii, right? Hilo, Hawaii, Hilo. the big island. I've been over that way. That's yeah. kind of like a different country in some sorts too, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, I was raised a minority. Yeah. And you know, we still spoke English and stuff. It was still America, but it's it's not the continental United States. Right. It's not what you're used to. It right. certainly wasn't Arizona. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally Far different. Far cry different, Definitely you know? Different. <laughs> yeah, you're used to the humidity on these monsoons, right? It's from well, the Philippines Panama, to Panama, Panama, Panama <laughs> had to be crazy. Yeah. And, and, you know, in uh, my... In, in my other world, I'm a transportation logistics guy. So I've been through the Panama Canal and I've seen that and amazed by the technologies oh. of it and even the expansion of it and what they can do, what they can't do. And and uh, if I remember right, reading in your book, your family was in the scrap metal business. Yes. So at some point, I'm sure you had to get that all together and get it to the, the harbors and get it out of town and all that kind of thing. Yep. We had to load it on the barges yeah. or the ships. And uh, and I, I so. know this is probably a talk for another day, but I'll uh, and we'll get into the fentanyl thing a little bit. But, you know, saying I'm a logistics guy, one of the things I'm real interested in, and again, for another day, but is kind of what these these guys that you're up against all the time, these cartels, these, you know, supply chains, if you will, from wherever the opioids start, which a lot of it starts in Asia, right? Yeah. All the way through to New York City, through your county. Probably a lot of it. Forty percent of it is, I think, is the number. The I ten, something like the I ten, I eight corridors, all that kind of stuff. 
I, I would love to understand from your perspective the logistics involved because you guys have the set of things you're going up against all the time. That's right. But they have an unbelievably good system. It seems like every time you find a new way to stop something, they find a new way to do something. Well, and you, you have to, on that note, because we've, we've talked with, uh, I think we had a... We had a guy in from the Border Duke Patrol. Adams? Yeah, Duke. Duke yeah, Adams. He didn't good want his name Duke revealed, Duke so... Duke Adams. Um, <laughs> we'll yeah, leave him coolest anonymous in the world. Um, but uh, he, uh, he was talking about that, and I have to, like, part of me, like, I don't like saying this because it makes me seem like I have tinfoil on my head. Uh, part of me <laughs> thinks that there's some alternative involvement with, uh, with the, with the drug trade when it comes to other countries that are not our friends. I mean, it, well, uh, there has to be. Well, think, think about it this way. And, and I'd love to hear your input on this because I, I always think that these things have agendas. Yes. There's an economic thing for these cartels or for wherever it manufactured to push these drugs into the United States. Cause they have a, they have yeah. a, uh, you know, clientele. We're their clientele. We're the ones buying this crap, right? Oh. But at the same time, it's just another way to help bring us down, frankly. Well, yeah, and I guess the reason I think of that is because you, you brought up to Asia, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the CCP, I hope G hears this himself, um, mm -hmm. is, 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 a, is, a, is a mob government. Winnie? I mean, yeah, good old. So, <laughs> so Sheriff Lamb, uh, prior to COVID-19, uh, my Halloween costume, and this is insensitive, but it was my Halloween costume. I was Winnie the Pooh, and I had a little honey pot of communism, and then I had uh, <laughs> Xi Jinping's face on my on my costume. Um, and I went into the office like that, and uh, I still have my job. So it's <laughs> very wild. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Know. It's just it's just things to think about. I think that stuff is interconnected. I, I think that well, to say there's not involvement, yeah. uh, the corroboration. You know, you'll talk to a lot of soldiers. They spend time guarding the poppy seed fields mm -hmm. over in Afghanistan. Yep. There's no question the CIA has likely been involved in drug trade and 100%. arms trade for a long time. We're America. Yep. Mm -hmm. If we wanted to stop dr those cartels, we could. We could. Yeah. We could send special forces units in and within a week or two, we'd wipe all those those folks out. Whether it's we don't have the, the moral, you know, the intestinal fortitude to do it. Um, or whether or not we don't want to disrupt relationships with other countries. I think you could do it very, you'd probably be solving a lot of their problems too while doing it. Um, we just don't. Yeah. So, and now with the open borders, knowing, and I know we're going to talk about it, but knowing that this has become the leading cause of death in America, yeah. the fentanyl, and you do nothing about it. So, I mean, there has to be some level of, of complacency or willful turning of a blind eye to it, whatever you want to call it. I just don't think that I, you can be achieve the levels they've achieved. And, and you kind of said it right before you, you, you said something you said mm -hmm. that um, you kind of alluded to it, that you can control the public. If mm -hmm. the public's uh, docile, yeah. if yeah. the public is in, intoxicated or under the influence of fentanyl or anything else, the public becomes a lot more hey, controllable. You control, yeah. you control through communication, media. You control through addiction, which is a multitude of... No, media can be thrown right into that. I'm sorry, what? With addiction, media can be thrown well, right into any that. Any form yeah. of addiction. If we could talk about the fact that, you know, you'll just put on the streaming service for four or five hours a day. And that's that's another form of this stuff. We, well, there's even, a million different... Even sex trafficking, for example. Yeah. People will say, well, how do they not just run away? Well, let me tell you how they don't run away. They've got you hooked on heroin mm -hmm. and fentanyl and you're a shell of yourself 
and you're just looking for the next high. And that is how they keep women and children stuck, uh, you know, captured or kidney, mm-hmm. you know, how they maintain them in those sex rings and those I, I uh, think, sex trafficking. I think the discussion around that subject, I don't know why it doesn't get more attention. I don't, I mean, the fentanyl thing is getting more and more attention. The opioid <laughs> I mean, crisis. I could jump right into that. I mean, I, I, well, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's the fringes of any discussion, right. Yeah. That, that go off too far one way or too far on the other. And the, the, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Hopefully more on my side of the middle than their side of the middle, but it's in the middle. So, but it, it does not get the attention. Yeah. And the only thing that comes to mind, the thing that, you always use, like to use Occam's razor, right? Mm. The the thing that makes the most sense is usually, you know, the the fact that somebody's involved that's allowing it to happen. Not somebody, but somebody's. A lot of somebody's. Jeffrey Epstein. Well, it <laughs> obviously was. He's still alive, <laughs> guys. Yeah. You know how that well, story how disappeared? How do you charge somebody with sex trafficking yet never... I was just going to say that. ...reveal the source, reveal who the clients were? <laughs> And, and, and then the rest of America's like, eh, yeah, you know, that we're lady, on to the that next lady's thing got already. a book this thick, yeah, with all kinds of names in it. But, but like, if it, you're, tra- <laughs> I know how the court of law works. If you're trafficking somebody to somebody, who, like, how do you charge that person? I guess they're basically charging because of the victim, you know. But still, somebody did it. Mm-hmm. Um, who was it? Yeah. Right. It's, it's wild. I mean, and that's, and there's some stuff we'll talk about in a few minutes that kind of point to that, um, in a, in a roundabout way of like where Americans currently see certain industries and yeah. certain institutions. I know I'm trying not to blah. No, no, it's okay. no. no so, it's fine. I'm it's trying fine. not to just go. Cause I know you got your questions. So I'm no, going to make sure totally this fine. is a free flow. Yeah, it just yeah. is. We're going to lead in one thing to another. Hey, we'll go from the sex trafficking <laughs> ring to what drew you into law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not sex trafficking. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I had never thought about being a cop. Didn't grow up. I wanted to be in the military. Didn't do that. Got to end up getting married and had kids instead. Um, but I had never thought about being a cop. Never once. Nobody in my family is a cop. Nobody in my wife's family are police officers. Nobody in law enforcement. Mm. And, uh, I had my own business. I was 33 years old, was, uh, doing some pest control, pigeon control. And, um, one of my neighbors says, hey, do you want to go on a ride along? It was over at the reservation, Salt River. So right next to Mesa, Tempe, and Scottsdale. Mm. Tucked right in there. Um, and so I said, yeah, sure. I don't got anything else to do. So I went on this ride along. And that night, I remember we had a call where we went to a house where the guy had found his 14-year-old daughter with a 20-year-old guy. And so he gets into this little scuffle. The guy runs out the back door. And if you've been on the reservation, you'll have like a house and then you might have a bunch of desert behind it and maybe some abandoned trailers. So here we show up at the house. That's what it's like. I'm out there armed with a flashlight and courage. Oh, uh, man. I'm out there in the field with these guys looking for this guy. You know, I don't know anything about. But I get to this camper and I look in the window and amongst all the trash and clothes, I see what I think is a quarter size of skin underneath all of it. And I'm call those guys. I'm like, hey, I think he's right over here. Well, they go barging in there. And sure enough, he was in there. They drag him wow. out, tase him, put him out on the ground, cuff him up. I was hooked. Yeah. Like I went home that morning, woke my wife up and said, hey, I'm going to be a cop. I put in my application. Within six months, I was in the academy. So, so that adrenaline That's rush wild. was better than getting 
you know, three stories up on top of a roof and cleaning up. When people (laughs) ask my wife, they're like, Hey, are you worried about this being a dangerous job? She's like, no, he was a pigeon control guy. He was up on roofs. He almost fell almost every day. Oh my God, I just had that done like, oh, I don't know, three weeks ago or something like that. And I was like, and this is a one story. No, no, this is not my house. Oh, okay. oh he's okay. got it too. Mine's, yeah, he yeah, lives. Yeah. He, the bull's got a big old. Yeah. yeah. This is, oh, this is the wolf. This is the wolf. This is the wolf's den. Yeah. This See, is the den. That's all you <laughs> had to say. Yeah, it's dark. <laughs> What's that from? Musty. It's. <laughs> Do you know what that's from? Wolf's what? den. That's all you had to say. You calling in the wolf? That's all you had to say. No, I don't know. I'm getting. I, I honestly, Come I've on. heard oh, it. You gotta give it to us. You're a little young. It, yeah, I've heard it before. The bull I should know, know this. This is I'll probably know this when you say it. This is Pulp Fiction. Oh, oh my God! That's the why wolf. I, we watched that last week. That's why it was popping in my head. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So he's freaking out. He's, he's you know freaking out, and all of a sudden, he's like, "Don't worry, stay calm." Uh, we're calling in the wolf. He's like, oh, sh- you calling in the wolf? <laughs> she, that's all you had to say. <laughs> You know, that That's guy's awesome. going to do, what, 10 movies, right? That's what he said he was going to do. Tarantino? What is he on right now? Is he on Nine, nine? right? Who is it? Samuel Jackson? Tarantino. Tarantino. Oh, Tarantino. Yeah. Tarantino, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Great. He, Crazy hey, movie. If he, I'll tell you what, if he came around today, he would not be making movies. Oh, well, mm-hmm. and that's part of what we were talking about. Know. You know, everything has got to fit into this kind of Well, he's part of the wokeness. Now. Is he, he really? Is now, yeah. He is. He is but yeah. it's yeah. funny because that. these woke folks will still go out and make gun, movies with guns and stuff. Yep. It's yeah. Alex Baldwin, right? <laughs> you know? Don't hey, bring hey. up old Alex. He's he's a honorable man who never did anything wrong. He never pulled the trigger. From yeah, what I understand, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's 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 unfortunate. Our world is, you know, it's it's funny. I I'll, I'll just this is a little aside, and Wolf and I have talked about this many times. But I'm I'm one of these guys that have always looked at other people and kind of the world with this half full kind of view. And I, you know, I make this joke sometimes, whether the glass is half full or half empty, it's still half, right? So you got to deal with that fact. But the, the last couple of years with all the different cacophony of nonsense that's happened, I've become really kind of a pessimist and it really upsets me because I'm not that way. And so part of this, just so you know, this is like my therapy. (laughs) <laughs> to, to talk about all these different issues and get talk them out about and, how that makes you feel yeah you sit here with the wolf and i look at you and just say tell me well, tell me more about that bull. tell me more bull. <laughs> that's okay. how um most police get because we see the bad part of society the yeah. ugly piece mm-hmm. and everybody lies and you become jaded and so you start to think less of everybody i would go to church and i would have to try to turn it off because you're looking at people at church thinking that guy's hiding something, you know, or some. And so you had to you're learn how to profiling everybody off. there going, Oh, this but is- I got past that. And I think, I mean, even now I could, you know, with everything going on, I'm very, I try to always stay positive. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm a realist. Like mm-hmm. I can tell you what sucks and what doesn't, but I always try to look at the positive side of everything. So you find yourself compartmentalizing a lot. I mean, just having to go, okay, I'm in this mode now. You know, you know I, 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 I always talk about three things that I think people can do to be successful. But one of those things and the third thing, which I, I'm going to say it now because I think it's important in context with what you're saying, yeah. is I always tell kids and people, surrender the outcome. You can't, yeah. depression, anxiety, and unhappiness come from trying to control an outcome that you have no control over. Mm. And so 
I really have had to let go and try not to focus on, on that outcome. Mm-hmm. And I just focus on what I can do. And, you know, and I, and I'm not nostalgic for the past either or the present or the future. I don't look back and go, Oh man, those were the good old days. I just don't like, I'm that's past. There ain't nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. Like Rad, uh, Ragnar Lothbrook says when he's sailing away from the port and he's got his two young boys on the boat and it's the first time they're going to war and they've, they're just got their hands up there and they're looking back to the shore. Mm-hmm. And he says, don't waste your time looking back. You're not going that direction. And so I surrender the outcome and I just don't look back. I, you know, I try to take what I can learn from it and I move forward. Now that, that comes from, I believe I read that you have a program. Do you still do that program with Yeah, the youth redirection. I got to go to it right after this. That's awesome. Cause remember, right. It's like authenticity, surrender the outcome and, uh, yeah, yeah. Really good. Uh, I blew it though. Don't be afraid to do the uncomfortable That's work. That's right, the uncomfortable work. Yeah. But the, the middle part, that surrender the outcome, is basically a truncated version of you know the serenity. Yeah. Right. And and uh, I love it because you you put those three things together. Now, hopefully, your record is still a hundred percent like it was a couple years ago. Well, we've had like probably a hundred fifty kids go through the awesome. program or more, and wow. we've probably had less than five. Now, these are these are kids that would have gone to juvie, right? These are kids that either were already would have gotten charged with the crime mm-hmm. or we also opened it as a mentorship piece too. So there's parents saying, Hey, my kid's on the wrong path and I'm afraid mm-hmm. that he's going to end up doing something, you know, breaking right. the law. So we've got two types. Um, but yeah, yeah, most of them would have ended up probably uh, continuing their criminal activity or, yeah. or drug use or whatever it be. And I think we've had maybe less than five kids that have actually gotten yeah. in trouble again. So, wow. There's nothing like helping people That's change incredible. direction yeah. when they're headed the wrong way, yep. right? You yeah. Know? It's a whole other conversation in that I, I know. This is my fault. I tend to do <laughs> no, this. It's Just okay. with me. I tend to. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of, this is kind of segues into it. Do you think following the events of the last few years uh, that there will be an uptick in law enforcement support uh, and development, or does it seem like there's going to be a few more hurdles that we're going to have to get through? No, I feel like the pendulum's already swinging back. But yeah. I've always said I feel like the pendulum is swinging back, but how hard will the left fight to keep it where it's at? Mm-hmm. How hard will the globalist effort, the socialist effort, whatever that effort is, how hard will they fight to keep that pendulum up there? Um, but I think it's already shifting back, especially in some of these these cities like Chicago and those places. They'll show you the videos that show a lack of police support. But in reality, if you go pull those areas, they still pull over 75, 70% say they still support law enforcement or want law enforcement in their neighborhoods. Mm. So the majority of the country still supports law enforcement. They want the, this narrative is created by media and, and by uh, politicians who want you to believe that people don't support the police. Yeah. Well, the, if, even if the people are supporting of the police, there's kind of two things that are happening, at least from my perspective. And again, I could be reading and listening to some of the wrong things, but number one, there's, there's a lot of people that are, are fleeing police work in retirements, mostly moving to different places that are, are more conducive to their thought process, but hiring process, you're getting, you're bringing in a whole different generation, which has a whole different set of (laughs) kind of viewpoints. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sure you're looking at those candidates. I I mean, you're not a, you're not a uh, boomer like me, but you're close. I'm a, uh, you're X, X, right? Yeah. And you're I just turned 50, right? I'm a millennial. Yeah, five oh man. Big Congrats, bravo. man. That's 
That was a long time ago yeah, for the bowl. Yeah, you guys, you guys lived in the good times. The good times. <laughs> the 80s. The, the, the 70s and the 80s were awesome. Uh, I'm yeah, here now awesome. living under the authoritarian boot. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, part of the part of the problem, though, to get back to that subject, though, is so you've got a you've got a bigger need for officers, much bigger need as things are, but you have less and less prosecutions happening for things that used to be standard, you go to jail now for. Yeah. In in big cities in particular. And and that comes from the DAs, that kind of that kind of yeah. world. And and so you've got this conflicting thing between the officers in the field and I I guess what I'm getting at is that if I'm an officer and I know if, if I arrest these people over here for this, they ain't going anywhere. They're right back out on the street. Or if I put my energy over on why I'm going to have more success in that arena. So what do you what do you do in a situation like that? I, you just can't blanketly arrest everybody for everything. Well, what you're seeing is because of the way they've turned, especially like politicians have turned on police. Mm-hmm. Then what you see is a cop that says, "Eh, I'll show up when I get there." So why put yourself at risk? Exactly. Uh, show up when somebody. When they want to sue you or take away your your implied immunity, uh, yeah. all those type of things. Yeah, that's a big deal. You, uh, I forget what it's called. Is it called implied immunity? I forget. I the, it's like there's it's a certain term, but it's not implied immunity. It's. It, uh, I can't remember it either. But and I got it wrong yeah. when I was speaking one time as well. I got it wrong. But I well, want I'm to sure tell everybody you that, jumped on it. <laughs> qualified immunity. Qualified immunity. Qualified. Thank I was you. saying it wrong last night too. Yeah. Um, you're a libertarian, and so. I will tell you that police have not done ourselves any favors. Mm -mm. When you go out and arrest people for not wearing a mask or drag people out of restaurants because they're not vaccinated, that hasn't helped our cause. No, like we, but that comes from weak leadership. That comes from, from leadership in this profession that it refuses to stand up for what they know is right. Do you think because they don't want to lose their job or because the, 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 the city council passed yeah. a, a mandate or an order. They're not laws. Right. So do you think that has something to do as well with the massive amount of resignations over the last two years? I mean, good cops after 2020 and what happened with Floyd, well, if, if I was, if, if would, I was in your position, frankly, if you were two years from retirement, I, I would have, I would have retired. I mean, right. I, after seeing what happened and here's the thing, like just for like clarification for both of you, I'm on social media. I'm not the most active guy, but when everything happened with the BLM movement, I was like, okay, I'm going to, not affiliate in any way. I don't, I'm not going to put up a square. I'm not going to say I support it because I don't know where it's from. I don't know the background of it. I did some research, realized it was a socialist organization, and now I don't support it. So my biggest thing is I have to look at the last two years and with you know what you're talking about with some officers choosing to do like the thing that we should not be doing in this country because uh, that's that's like when you tell people to put on a mask, that, yeah, that makes me think of like Gestapo type stuff, which is way down the pipe. And obviously I don't want to do that because they're, they're definitely not the same. With that being said, like I, I, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the social backlash from what they saw in that seven minute, eight minute video with, uh, with Chauvin and Floyd, mm-hmm. I think that just burned out a lot of people real fast. And I think that's probably part of what we're seeing personally. You know, mm. that's my opinion on it. Yeah, guys are just, you know, they're not appreciated. Why do a job where you're not appreciated and it's mm-hmm. dangerous? More and more cops are dying every year. Um, and the pay, I mean, you can go out into the private sector, especially as a very seasoned cop, and you can make double what you were making as a police officer. So, look, there's a lot of reasons why. And and then 
we're not doing ourselves any favors because when somebody asks cops, would you do this job or would you have your child do it? And we're like, Oh no, 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 that doesn't help. Like yeah. that doesn't, not, that's not good for recruiting. No. Um, you have to still appreciate this is the most, one of the most honorable professions in the preamble to the constitution. The founding fathers said we, the people of the United States of America in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. Mm-hmm. It was the very first thing because the rule of law is one of the backbones of America. And see, that's that's one of the things, in, in Wolf and I have talked about this a lot, that, that I think it's like the breakdown of, of parameters for people. Rule of law is, is there and designed. Laws in general are there and designed to keep people, for lack of a better way to put it, civilized. And it's know? all done on yeah. purpose. Yeah. yeah. What, was their, what was their campaign slogan in 2020? I don't know. He Build usually mumbled, right? No, it, was to, yeah, yeah. International oh, it was to reinvent America. <laughs> yeah. And, and then and it was build back better. So you take those two terms and f- frankly, that sent off alarms in my head. Yeah. And so to do that, you have to undermine the rule of law. Mm-hmm. You got to flood the country with people from across the border. Yeah. You've got to not hold people accountable in the big cities. You, you make it a racial issue. So if somebody of a certain race commits a crime, that's, you can't hold them accountable, but you can hold somebody else accountable. All of those things are designed to undermine the rule of law, defunding the police. When you look at it through those lenses, you will start to see what it is that they are trying to do because you cannot reinvent America. And so why do you say that? If you can make the local law enforcement, state law enforcement look like the Keystone Cops, Mm -hmm. then it opens the door for federal law enforcement to come in. And you're one step closer to what Germany saw back in those days. Yeah. And I I forget what it is, but there's this thing that's been happening through both this current administration and then Obama's, I believe, started this where they're having local city law enforcement sign. It's, It's a funding document you know, basically relinquishing a certain amount of their power to the feds for funds. And, you know, t- to me, we're in a democratic republic. The The local jurisdictions are the most important thing. It's that outward that's important. Absolutely. And these people are trying to bring it the other way around. That's the challenge. It used to be sovereignty was to the states. Mm-hmm. The federal government was a support unit, you know, and they were the designed to have a military to protect the states. Um yeah, and that's you're right. That's where they get you. They put you over the barrel because they give you money, which is why they wanted to give out so much money. Mm-hmm. They give you all this COVID money. They give you all this money and say, now you got to do what we say we got to do. Yep. Yeah. And so I've actually told ride. our super, our told, I've told our our board. I said, look, we have to be willing to give up any federal funding that we have because I'm not doing what they're saying. I'm not going to play along with the games. We're not doing mandate vaccine mandates. We're not doing mass mandates. We're not doing any of that stuff because for one, it's not, it's not lawful. Yeah. Like they didn't pass a law saying that. And number two, it, in many ways it encroaches and, and surpasses, like I said earlier, people's constitutional rights. Yeah. And you're specifically, your, your audience is really just the people, right? Because I mean, you were voted in directly. I mean, you're, you're, it's not that you're responsible to the governor. You're not, I mean, you're responsible to all those people in yeah. different ways, but it's it, in terms of what you physically have to do, you're responsive to the voters only. That's correct? right. So it makes this, the, the office of sheriff so important 
in, in America. Sheriffs are your last line of defense because I'm not, I don't work for the president. Mm-hmm. I don't work for the governor. I don't work for the, the board of supervisors, the city council. I work directly for the people. Mm-hmm. And there's power in that because I don't have to do what they say, you know? Yeah, that's a big that is a big deal. Yeah, you cut out the bureaucracy, which is great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's just, it's just hard to witness all that. Because when I grew up, I, I, I saw, I grew up in a relatively like legalistic household, so like my family was very like, yeah, pro cops, pro everything. Mm-hmm. As I've gotten older, I've learned to distinguish like good cops, good cops support that. See a bad cop, support him for his position, but don't like put the blinders on right um but it's just hard for me to watch as i get older to see the decline to such a high degree um well well the problem is is people like to demonize an entire profession right yeah and and i've i've talked to people about this for years and in in the businesses that i know Mm -hmm. because you you run into somebody and you're trying to sell them a service or a product or whatever you're trying to sell them and they don't want to deal with you because they knew somebody in that field that they didn't like or thought they thought was a greaseball or whatever the case may be well i'm like that doesn't mean all of those people are. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, it doesn't even mean most of them are. And cops aren't robots. No, exactly. They're, they're no. human like, beings. Cops have families. We have bills we have to pay. We have issues that we deal with at home when we walk out the door. And sometimes that that spills over into work. Mm-hmm. And then that person gets deemed as a bad cop. But nobody takes the time to look and say, what was his mental state? What was he going through at that time when that happened? Yep. You know? You look at what happened in Minnesota. Did you ever, anybody ever talk about what happened to Derek Chauvin before he walked out the door? No. I'm not saying that justifies his behavior. All I'm saying is that there's no get, there's no leeway for the police officers. So if, if they make one mistake, they're a bad cop. Because that's yeah. not important to their narrative. You know, that's and, the problem. And the, I'll give this one last statistic. Sure. It's kind of off the wall, but a little bit not. Um, there is... A little less than right about a thousand deaths typically every year at the hands of police. So police will shoot and kill um, a thousand people a year. Mm. Doctors typically Mm. have, I've heard numbers up to 250,000 malpractice deaths a year. So nobody ever talks about the doctors. They're allowed to make mistakes over and over again. A police officer makes a mistake one time, especially if it's caught on camera, his career is ruined. Yeah. And everything's caught on camera now. You're wearing them, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's- they're not even mistakes. They were split second decisions, judgment calls that they had to make that were able people were able to over and over watch it and and armchair quarterback mm-hmm. it and dissect it when he had to make that split second decision. Was it Brianna Taylor? So- Brianna Taylor was oh, one yeah, of those. The, the no knock. I mean, I, knock well, I think a lot of this, and this is, uh, Bull and I have talked about this. I, I think a lot of this comes back to as well on the opposite end of the spectrum, the responsibility of the American public. I mean, if you don't understand your institutions, you're going to jump to whatever the mainstream media is feeding you. I mean, when I saw, same thing with Floyd, when I saw Brianna Taylor happen, I said, that doesn't sound even remotely possible. I mean, I mean, it, obviously there was a lot of stuff that went on, but there's something they're not telling us. And uh, I mean, I have, I have, you know, friends in the military. I've gotten, as we mentioned, friends in immigration and, and I totally understand where you're coming from. Like you've got to give some, some level of grace to the people that are standing up for you against people who, if they were not there, would take advantage of you. That's why I think this whole, like, we're going to get rid of police. Let's put in what civil servants or social workers, social workers, like civil servants. Look at it this way. Imagine walking through a minefield, right? Mm -hmm. 
And every step you go to take, people are over like, yeah. like it, it makes, it makes you cautious with every step. It doesn't make you good at walking through the field. It makes you cautious and tep and you tend to make mistakes when you're cautious. And so what we've tried to do at our agency is just say, do your job. Don't do anything illegal, immoral, or unethical. If you can explain to me, even if you do something that maybe wasn't great, if you can explain to me, and as long as it wasn't illegal, immoral, or unethical, if you can tell me why it was right, I'm with you. Yeah. Like, I'll stand behind you 100%. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that is why people want to come work for us, because we allow them to do their job, and they know we, they, they know they have our support, and that we understand that we do a tough job, and the optics are not great. We're not in the business of good optics. Um, so those things all combined. But in the end, it's, you know, the majority of these men and women that put on the badge every day are good men and women that are normal people and, that and try to do a job. Of course, part of your responsibility is taking the body blows for things that happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Real or imagined yeah. all the time. Well, yeah. uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Because, you know, since taking office in 2017, you've become the face of the American Sheriff Network and of a nonprofit coalition of sheriffs, sheriffs called Protect America Now. And you've also founded a charity, the American Sheriff Foundation. I personally believe that law enforcement is a huge facet of the community, and you seem to be giving back to your community in ways that are not only admirable, but honorable. Can you give our listeners some insight into the American Sheriff Network, Protect America, and the American Sheriff, Founda American Sheriff Foundation? Yeah, when I, uh, when I got into this, I always wanted to have a charity. Um, it's kind of sucks right now because I'll, I'll get into my charity, the status of it, but, um, I always wanted a charity. I wanted to give back and I, and it's hard to do anything through government. And so I started looking for names and believe it or not, American sheriff was available. <laughs> and so American sheriff.com was available. And so I bought it for 1500 bucks and then, um, the American Sheriff Foundation, americansheriff.org, I was like, perfect, I'll call my char my charity American Sheriff Foundation. The last three years I've been doing my taxes, giving them to my accountant, she never filed any of them. Oh. They revoked my status, and so I'm working on getting my status back now, which I can, but it's just one more thing to do, you know? Yeah. And you're trying to do a good thing, and it just kind of sucked, but, you know, so that's, but it's been great because I've been able to help so many families, single moms, veterans, really just kind of, and our mission is to bridge the gap between communities and law enforcement through service and, mm -hmm. and helping other people. So that has been a passion of mine. I love to be able to help other people. That's the good side of the job. Um, protect America. Now I started that because I, I mean, we needed sheriffs to be able to stand together, sheriffs to feel like you weren't alone. Um, I, you know, standing up against the vaccine mandates and the, and the closures, you know, the shutdowns and the mass mandates, sometimes I felt like I was all alone. Yeah. And so we wanted to start something that made sheriffs feel like you're not alone. You're there's, a, there's a lot of, a, of us together. And it's also a place where people can go and get educated, um, where they can feel like they're part of the sheriffs. And so we started Protect America now. Now we're working with True the Vote to tell, to protect the election. Mm. And that you can see us at protectamerica.vote. So that's something where we're doing educating the citizens, giving them a, a hotline where they can call if they see something that's not right. And working with our counties, our communities to be able to, to hopefully fix voter rolls and a lot of other mm -hmm. things. So we're going to try to get more involved. You know, it's, it's a fine line because you don't want to, you know, make people think that law enforcement's there 
and you can't vote the way you want to do it. This is more design. There are laws in place. This is about the rule of law, and it shouldn't matter which party you are. Everybody, Republicans or Democrats alike, should want to know that that anybody who breaks that is going to be held accountable and that we can protect the sanctity of the vote, which is what allows us to be able to continue forward as a country. You know, in the old days, old days, it's probably still going on, but I remember I used to get a call at least once or twice a year from sheriff's department to, uh, to donate. And I was like, how did they get my name? What, what list am I on? You know, what is it? but no, I mean, it's just like it was just arrested. Else. People who had been arrested. <laughs> oh, the there you yeah. go. That must have been. Uh, look, that, was under my, that was under my other You're alias. You're looking real suspicious over there, Bull. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but uh, I, what I was going to say, though, is I, I think what you're doing and the fact we already talked about media a little bit in terms of our viewpoint. I think anybody that's ever listened to us would know what we think of legacy media and how it's changing and how it's redeveloping itself, trying to remake itself in one way, shape or form. And a lot of it's going the wrong way, Yeah. but all these new forms of media and your ability to jump on all these platforms um, and get exposure to them sometimes for, you know, uh, uh, lip syncing. Yeah. I forget that song, <laughs> dancing uh, around or, or, or yeah. even the, the stuff where you get people yelling at you about, you're the one at the White House with COVID, right? There's all these kind of things that happen, right? But the exposure to this, I think, is one of the things that police departments all over should be looking at. Because yeah. it's one thing to get a body cam and seeing a, a horrible incident can be spun out of control. It's another thing entirely when you go on YouTube and see sheriff after sheriff or sergeant or whatever lip syncing to a bunch of songs. Then you make that, that leap and say, no, they're not RoboCop. Right? Yeah. Right. They're human beings. And they're part of the community and they need to be treated like that. Yeah. I Which is why really we did important. American Sheriff Network because yeah. we washed that as, as they, they washed all that away. Mm-hmm. Police were getting, you know, the lip sync challenges and all these things and people were live PD and everybody was loving the police. And then 2020. Hit. Oh, well, I was, I just, was pissed. I finally got onto live PD. Like I grew up with cops for a long time and then I finally discovered live PD like in 2019. Gone. Yeah, well, I think live, I might live, be live PD wanted, right? That's the one I, you were And I was a co-host hosting. on right. Live PD That's wanted. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Dang, you did your homework. I, well, I, I, you know what? I made one big mistake. <laughs> you read the book. I, no, I read it, and I'll talk about that in a little while, but I made the mistake of buying it on Amazon. So because I'm I heard you would have signed it otherwise. I do. And, so. it, you know, Amazon takes a lot of the money, so I always try to steer people to buy it at americansheriff.com exactly. or... Honestly, now, because we turned americansheriff.com into American Sheriff Network, you can still get the book there. Yeah. But it's a lot easier to just get it at the sheriffswife.com. I was going to say. Sheriffswife.com. Yeah. Um, my wife's book is on there. Mine is on there. My wife is currently writing another book, as am I. And so we'll drop. You know, that was a I really to, smart thing. To like, have I to have write. to go home tonight and write another chapter because my book is due to my editor on the 29th of July. Oof. So. Oh. I'm well, about. Ha- I'm not even halfway okay, that, through that, yet. That, well, you got, that we got to ask the question: How many cowboy hats does this guy wear? Because that's a lot of hats to wear, man. <laughs> I it do. Is. You're doing a lot of. That you know, was a good pun. Uh, that, that was, was a good try At least once Did, per episode. I you know, yeah, that was good. We released a reel today where I said your puns were like the WNBA. I change it. You, WNBA. Yeah, I said it was like the WNBA. You, you put that on your puns you are like much. the NBA now. You've changed. You're wow. the Kobe Bryant of puns. It, it, as long as I'm not. Uh, the other guy. 
<laughs> oh yeah, good old LeBron. Yeah, well, let's go LeBron ahead. Uh, and, yeah. Let's go ahead and jump into the opioid epidemic. Um, for our listeners, and give a little background. Um, you know, the war on drugs has been an ongoing battle in the United States uh, between United States law enforcement against drug traffickers, drug cartels. Uh, the purpose of this government-led initiative is to stop illegal drug use, distribution, and trade by dramatically increasing prison sentences for dealers and users. Drug use has consistently been a part of the American history uh, from the 1890s Sears and Roebuck catalog, in, including an offer for a syringe and a small amount of cocaine for $1.50. Uh, cocaine was, wasn't outlawed. <laughs> Sears and Roebuck. Yeah, it wasn't outlawed at that time. Um, to the first congressional act to levy taxes on morphine and opium that also took place in 1890. Um, to former President Nixon formally declaring a war on drugs in 1971, stating drug use uh, and drug abuse as a public enemy number one to today, with the skyrocketing increase uh, in the abuse of opioids. Between 2009 and 2013, 40 or so states took steps to soften drug laws, lowering penalties and shortening mandatory minimum, minimum sentences, according to Pew uh, Research Center. In 2010, Congress passed the Fair Sentencing Act, uh, which reduced the discrepancy between crack and powder cocaine offenses from 100 to 1 to 18 to 1. Marijuana legalization in several states has also likely resulted in more tolerant views on recreational drug use as well. I'd love to get your insight into the current state of fighting illegal drug use in the U.S. Sheriff Lamb. Do you think the recent legislation moves and the pop culture acceptance of recreational usage have resulted in the prolific abuse of opioids today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think that everything is attributing to it. Um, social media has. It creates depression. It creates... You know, people not feeling good about themselves. Well, the, the fact that we were doling out um, uh, Percocets and Oxycontins, doctors were doling those out like candy, yeah. created a, a, a real market for it. And the cartels are not dumb. Mm -hmm. um, the cartels found something that the American people were, were hungry for, something better than those other drugs. I mean, fentanyl is 50 is 100 times more powerful than hair or morphine and 50 times more powerful than heroin. That, that's 50 shocking. times more that's powerful incredible. than heroin. That's incredible. And so they've been able to inject that into our, our society. And once you use it, it's addiction at first try, mm. um, which is why they're putting it in the cocaine. They're putting it in heroin. They're putting it in marijuana. They're putting it in methamphetamine because when you use those drugs, they also want you to get addicted to those drugs because of the fentanyl in it. Mm. Um, here's what I would tell anybody listening out there is please stop referring to these. They're not really overdoses. These are poisonings. The fentanyl, these are fentanyl poisonings. The cartel is poisoning American people. Um, it's become the leading cause of death in America between the ages of 18 to 45. Um, over a hundred thousand people have died. And I always put it into perspective. Let's say they took a bomb and dropped a bomb on, Scottsdale, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and they killed a hundred thousand people. What would we do as a, as a country? <laughs> you know, we went to war went for to war. 20 years over less than 4,000 people dying at the twin towers. I don't want to demean that belittle that in any way or de desensitize that, but I'm putting it into perspective less than 4,000 people died there. We are losing over a hundred thousand Americans every year. To fentanyl, it's only increasing. Um, the reason I say it's a poisoning is because if you have a 15-year-old who takes a pill for the first time, a, a, a fake Xanax pill that has fentanyl, I'm sorry, that's a poisoning. A cocaine addict who takes 
cocaine for 20 years and now takes some with, with fentanyl in it and dies, that's a poisoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, a baby who dies because the parents had it in their possession is a poisoning. Uh, thus far this year, I think there's been 33 children die from um, uh, fentanyl. And seven of them have been under the age of one in this country. What? That's unbelievable. That alone, that 33 number alone should mobilize the troops against the the drugs and the cartels. But we're losing over 100,000 civilians. I teared. It was frustrating for me, and, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Ukraine, but it was frustrating for me to listen to the media and all these people, these holier-than-thou people say, what about these civilians that are dying? What about the civilians that are dying here yeah. from the fentanyl poisonings that the cartel is bringing into this country, killing American people? And so that's what I have a problem with. And uh, I, when have you heard Joe Biden, President Biden, speak a single time about fentanyl? I haven't. I don't think I have. Yeah, haven't Why? I mean, and he won't talk about drugs either, probably a lot because of his own son's behavior. Yeah, sure. Um, but a lot of it is because either you're allowing this to come in or you are just, you're turning a blind eye to it. There's no way he doesn't know, not know that this is the, the leading cause of death in America. Yeah. Well, and and you mentioned an interesting part there. You mentioned the almost a prescribed first mentality amongst the medical uh, institutions. Uh, You know, I've got family in the medical institutions, and the last few years have been really disappointing as well. Um, Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that area. I don't think I am. With society so seemingly dependent upon narcotic usage, do you think do you see a strategy uh, employed by the war on drugs as something that states should return to, like more more stringent, go back to being more hard on drug usage and and uh, and you know distribution, or do you think there could be a better way? I know Joe, Joe Rogan has talked about mass legalization in a lot of ways. I'm not a proponent of that. I think there's a lot of risk there, but I also understand that is an option that people have talked about. Mass legalization is a terrible idea. Mm. That's like saying, hey, my child... It, it, it likes to play video games. So you know what my solution is? Let them play video games 24 hours a day. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah. It's not so mass legalization. Now I get that these people are doing it to themselves, but there is an impact to other people as well. Um, because of the legalization of marijuana here in this state, 70, 80% of the DUIs that we have now are DUI drugs. Mm. Um, a lot of the accidents are DUI that drugs. That's the same. People, people think that that isn't, you know, people people think that this is the only thing, right? Right. And if they're if they're high, they're not going to get pulled over and you. It's I, I don't get that. And look, I'll tell you, alcohol is probably the worst of all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alcohol probably has more people in jail than the rest of them. I don't believe that mass incarceration is the truth is the is the ticket either. Mm-hmm. I think appropriate laws and in car incarceration. We're working in this county to 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 implement reentry programs, catching people on the front end, helping them on the back end, mm-hmm. being able to decipher before you ever put them in jail whether there's a mental health issue there or whether there's a drug addiction issue. Throwing them in jail to where I have to deal with them now as a sheriff is not fair to me. Yeah. It's not fair to the public, and it's not fair to them. I mean, them going and losing their jobs and doing all this is not the the answer either. You should hold dealers accountable. Those people should get the book thrown at them. That will teach people to deal drugs. If they knew they were going to go to jail for 25 years because they were dealing drugs, I mean, I, and I'm just throwing a number out there. I'm not saying yeah, anybody listening don't say, sure, Flam thinks you should go to drugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just throwing a number out there. Uh, it's called a brown no, number. Do you know what a brown number is? No. What is that? 
A brown number is a number you pull out your butt. <laughs> so that was a brown number. <laughs> That's great. So, That's great. I mean, yeah. look, I don't think incarceration is it. I think that, but I also, so I went and spoke in, in Miami and um, it was probably 30% cops, but 70% social workers. So you can imagine, oh, yeah. I may not have been their, per, their yeah. speaker of choice, <laughs> um, but I went in and spoke and I, and I said, look, I know I, I, God bless all of you for wanting to help these folks, but you want, you're trying to mop the bathroom floor without turning off the water. Mm-hmm. And so nice you to have to turn the water off and that involves border security. That involves stopping the flow of drugs. We can't help if the more you're getting more drugs into this country every day and creating more addicts than we're ever able to help. So let's do this. Let's stop the flow of drugs into this country, or at least I know we're never going to get it 100%, but let's reduce it down to to by 95%. Let's reduce it. Let's make it extremely difficult so that when we do help somebody with a mental health issue or a drug addiction issue, their chance of success is much higher because we're no longer uh, allowing them to get it so easy. I mean, fentanyl pills now are, are about a buck a pill. You can actually get them for about 50 cents to $2 a pill. One of the most potent, deadly things you can possibly buy is also the cheapest. It's the cheapest. How does well, it, well, you, and you, you mentioned something a second ago when you were talking about uh, uh, cartels and things lacing other drugs with this stuff too. And I'm wondering if the statistics we looked at are inaccurate because of how you can look at who's dying of, of you know, um, opioids for sure, but who's yeah. dying of cocaine, who's dying of these other things, all which may be a part, partly laced with this stuff too. Probably. I, well, I, I bet you that 107,000 doesn't include yeah. people who died of cocaine That's and methamphetamines. I mean, a lot of that probably isn't even included in that. Yeah. I will tell you, the federal government is notorious for fudging the way numbers are. We just said we're talking they to the FBI. They never do that, do they? What, yeah. are you, what are you talking about? Hey, there's like a thousand things that happen that are bad. Not a single ones. The way the media, the, the government does it. For example, like um, I was at a training. They were talking about ma- mass or active shooters. Oh, yeah. So when I say to you two, what's active shooters are, what do you think of immediately? I mean, I, you think the, of schools. You think, schools. Yeah. Churches. Yeah. Malls. That's what you think of. Mm-hmm. So I asked him when he was done, I said, listen, what is your definition of active shooter? Because the average person now in my community that I, the sheriff, have to deal with, not you, the FBI, because of what you're saying, because he's like, oh, we've had like 500 active shooters. I said, I know for a fact you're not talking about churches and you're not talking about schools. You're talking about neighborhoods in Chicago and Detroit and L.A. And he's like, you're right. He's like, they're a very tiny, tiny percentage of, of shootings happen in schools or churches or, or, or malls there. So anything three people or less is yeah. an active shooter. Really? Yeah. yeah. So you have a shooting and what that involved three people or less, that's an active shooter. More than three, four or more is a mass shooting. So think about the amount of active shooters that have been listed per the FBI out of places like Chicago. I mean, you got 
every drive by, every right? Twenty yeah. of them a week, which is all gang violence. I mean, and that's right. and I, I mean, we're I would consider you know this household relatively pro Second Amendment, and so like mm-hmm. my my big thing is that that gets me all the time when I have the the anti gun anti AR fifteen people come out and say there's been thousands of active shootings every year. No, there's been a handful, and all the other ones is just gang violence. Well, riddle me this. How do you go, how is it that the primary focus for this government is guns? We had over, we had, we average about 450 deaths. It's probably, you know, for rifles. Mm-hmm. There's over 20 million AR-15s alone in this country. Mm-hmm. We average about 450 deaths. We're averaging over 100,000 fentanyl poisonings a year. And you're going to sit here and talk to me like the most important thing is guns. I will not not be lectured by a bunch of politicians in Washington that are completely out of, out of touch and don't even talk about what is really killing Americans. So if I were to come to you citizens and say to you both bull wolf, Hey guys, uh, we've had 450 deaths from rifles, but we've had a hundred thousand from drugs. Which one do you want me to go after? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's, and you're talking so about you 450 rifle deaths in a country of 350 million so people. So it doesn't even register on a yeah. on a on a on a statistic. It mm-hmm. doesn't even. It would be like zero 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 <laughs> something percent. So, so well, is it because they need to find that politically? They need to find something splashy to demonize like that. I'm going to tell you. There's three things that I think you'll never see politicians fix. And and. Immigration, abortion, and guns. You know why? Because they can't fight about it politically if you fix it. Yep. And if you look back and look, we've been dealing with these same talking points. And right now you have a, a Senate and a House and a president all in the same party. If they truly they wanted, wanted to, to fix, fix any one of now. those things, they probably could. Yep. This would be now as good a time as ever. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, the Republicans had the president, same thing, the Congress and the Senate, and what did they get done? Jack diddly squat. I was like amazed at that time because I thought for sure there were going to be two or three specific things, big things done during that that first couple of years of Trump's presidency, and they did not happen because the people in the House or the Senate, one or the other, would push back against what he was wanting to do. Yep. And there's no logic to it except no, for what you just it's said. About if you don't have politics. chaos, you got to have it to, to just create this cycle. Government is needed only in chaotic situations. So chaos. it's like uh, I was watching this show about Von Dutch the other day, the, mm-hmm. the clothing apparel. It's yeah. really good, by the way. And in there, they were talking about one of the guys. And this guy says that he was working at the company and he would come in and start fires every day. And then at the end of the day, he'd fix it. And then at the end of the day, they'd get sit down and he'd be like, boy, what a day, you know, I fixed that problem. Yeah. And the guy would be like, yeah, but you created the problem at the beginning yeah. of the day exactly. only so you could fix it by the end of the day. And, and government does that. Unfortunately, they're not fixing anything anymore. Now. I don't know that they ever did. I always say I wouldn't let them run a hot dog stand for me. <laughs> um, let alone, you know, control all these things. And it's just, 
I think it's evident that they're failing us miserably. Well, and it seems like they're failing us intentionally too, which is unfortunate. I mean, I, you know, with the recent pandemic, obviously people still think it's going on. Which good news, by the way. Fauci said he's going to retire at the end of uh, the Biden presidency, so that's nice. Because we'll he knows see. he's gone. Yeah, we'll never have to see freaking throat cancer guy ever again. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it baffles me that he's the head of the something for SARS-CoV-2. It baffles me. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. I, I think it's intentional. I think a lot of people have gotten to the point where it's intentional. I mean, everything was not to say like, I thought Trump was very funny. I thought a lot of his foreign policy decisions were good outside of what he did with, uh, with uh, Jerusalem or Israel. The Abraham Accord. Yeah. I'm not specific. Uh, moving the, moving the embassy was something that like from that had been talked about for 15 well, years. Yeah. Before they just yeah. Decided to do it. Well, I, I just mean it from the sense that like from a friend I know, he burned a lot of people um, doing oh, that I on by proxy. About, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, but it's I, always the people who got, burn the bitch about it you know it's not exactly. like there's always somebody that's gonna end up a loser in it mm-hmm. and in america we don't like lo- you don't want to nobody wants to have a loser anymore and in yeah. reality is life doesn't go my way all the time and i've learned to just be like i don't sit and complain about it later exactly. on and be like oh that was a terrible decision well here's it the, just he, didn't go my way well here's <laughs> the thing is that his his decision to do that is was nowhere near as cataclysmic as pulling out of afghanistan so uh my, oh, my yeah. biggest thing is like i america seemed to be running smoothly you know two years ago and all of a sudden we're worse than we've yeah. been in a long time. Um, and so. it, it, it's, it's like it reached a tipping point and uh, it, it was pushed over the edge. Oh yeah. By a group that, you know, you were talking earlier about how, how it just seems the government's a chaos cycle, you know, but it, it seems like these things have been do, done intentionally for years and years and years and years, but very subtly. And now suddenly Maybe because of the pandemic, maybe because they've developed an idea that people's attitudes in America at a certain point, they just want to push all agendas all at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I, that, that I don't get. I don't, I don't understand the urgency to have all this nonsense happen all at once. Well, it's kind of like what a toddler does, right? I mean, uh, I, I don't have kids, but I've seen toddlers throw tantrums, and that's kind of the same type of thing. You don't get what you want. When you want it, you're going to yeah, throw it. Yeah, but your what do you do when the, the, the kid does that? You certainly don't give it to them. Uh, you give it's them to it's another designed family. to break the system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's designed it's to break the system so you can reinvent it, so you can build it back better. And oh, so, yeah. Didn't Mark say something about that? Yeah. <laughs> Probably did. Yeah, yeah it's probably. it's just, it's really unfortunate. Um, but let's go ahead and pop into uh, the immigration issues. That same kind of discussion we've been having. You know, for our listeners, you know, more than 44.9 million immigrants lived in the United States in 2019. Obviously, data needs to get updated. Uh, comprising 13.7 of total U.S. population, uh, which is remaining short, by the way, of a record high of 14.8 in 1890, which is interesting. Um, 11 million so or so are illegal. Uh, according to migrationpolicy.org. Uh, can you pro- provide some insight into what's been going on and any problems that residents within the state of Arizona should be aware of? Yeah. I can tell you 1890 and now are very different. Yes. I um, mean, what you got in 1890 were a lot of people that were professionals. They were they were wanting a better life back then. We're not getting doctors and lawyers crossing the border. Mm. Many times these are the folks that were failing in their own countries only to turn around and try to come to ours um, f- but you know, I will tell you, this is still the greatest country in the world. Absolutely. The yeah. fact that three and don't let the politicians and the media tell you otherwise, because the fact that 300,000 plus people come here every month tells you that this is still the greatest country in the world. Yeah. Immigration is the single biggest problem. This open borders, not immigration. It's not about immigration anymore. 
This is about human trafficking and drug trafficking into America. We have, um, it shouldn't matter whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or independent. If you care about border security or human beings, you should care about border security. Mm-hmm. Women are being raped, eight out of 10. Um, I tell this story all the time. We caught a woman and she had um, a baggie of pills with her. I don't remember if she was Mex- from Mexico or from Guatemala. Um, she had about 50 pills in this baggie. And we said, hey, what are these pills? She said, well, when I was going to cross the border, I knew I'd be raped multiple times. These are morning after pills. Wow. Holy mackerel. Like, where did we lose our moral compass so bad in this country that under the name of politics, we allow this behavior to go on? Not only that, they're raping the children and using the children as pawns. 15,000 unaccompanied minors came here last month. Now, what the media and AOCs of the world and all these people want you to believe is that we're separating them. I talked to a, a congresswoman in Washington, and kudos to her for even getting on the phone with us. And she goes, well, what about all the, uh, the kids that are being separated from their parents? I said, ma'am, we're not separating them. The cartels are. They're showing up with no parents. The cartels are purchasing them, stealing them, purchasing them at the threat of violence to those families and using them as pawns and raping those children and putting them into the sex trade. That's the reality of what's happening. We're not separating them. They're being separated. These are unaccompanied minors. They're extorting the men and forcing the men to carry drugs into this country. Dangerous drugs like fentanyl we already talked about Mm -hmm. that are killing Americans at unprecedented rates. What in that, what part of that is okay? Like, Anybody who talks to me that, I mean, honestly, you've got to be completely ignorant to what's going on in this world. uh, If you can't see those things and say they're bad. Yeah. Or you've just completely lost your moral compass to say the raping of women and children, the stealing of children, the abusing of men, the forcing of men to carry drugs, extortion. All of those things are major crimes and should not be tolerated by the American people. And, a, and an administration that openly encourages um, open borders and, and illegal immigration by their inaction or by their their uh, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, um, we're responsible for that. Yeah. They're responsible for it, and they should be held accountable for it. Do you think some of the, the populace in the United States that aren't along the border, along the, uh, the border states, just don't believe this. Do you they, think that's the problem that, that the communication to them through all the different sources they get, they just look down at the board and they go, well, okay, maybe there's a little problem, but it's somebody else's problem. Yeah. Like some, level or of that it looks like it's minimized, like maybe. some level of cognitive dissonance going on. Yeah. Well, their yeah. media sources aren't showing it. Mm. So if all you watch is CNN and MSNBC, they're not going to show you the hundreds of people walking across the border every day. They're not going to show you the pursuits. They're not going to show you the people dying, Mm -hmm. the people, families losing loved ones to fentanyl poisonings. They're not going to show you any of that. So when you hear it, to them, they're like, this is made up. I love how now Mayor Mayor Bowser in in D.C. is now complaining. And now she's saying, oh, these people were, I feel like they were tricked into it. She doesn't say that she has any evidence about it. This is the typical uh, far left way of doing things is just say it and mm-hmm. let it be truth. Yeah. She's like, I feel like they are tricking these people. Well, what now is she's feeling 
it was okay when Texas and Arizona were having to deal with it. But now that Texas and Arizona have been busting those people up there and they're starting to get overwhelmed with it, guess what? It ain't so fun, is it? No, not at all. I mean, but, that's that's part of the reason why we discussed earlier why we left California. I mean, it's... Well, you by see the way, I understand the that on that Bowser thing that they have to, the immigrants that are coming through there have to agree based on the current laws to actually be bussed there. Yeah. So it, it nobody's being tricked into anything. It's all nonsense. No. And they were and tricked has to, to come to the border in the first place when yeah, they were told it go. was an open border. Yeah. Right. When we pull these people over and to ask them why they came here, you know what they tell us? Because Joe Biden said I could. You know, here's here's the challenge that I always has. I, I spoke about this earlier, this cup half full kind of mentality I've always had. This has got to be, and I'm just guessing, but this has got to be one of the hardest things for you to deal with. Because if you have a heart, you understand that people are looking to better themselves, right? Yeah. At, at least, well, I remember seeing something on the internet. I think it was a Guatemalan or Venezuelan family that you ran into. Venezuelan. Venezuelan. Yeah. And, and, and they were... Obviously, very good people. As a matter of fact, I think one of the kids was autistic, if I remember yeah. talking about autistic. But a whole family, obviously looking for a better life and engineer or doctor or something like this. And you're like, okay, these are the people that we want to come in here through a proper immigration system. But that's such a rare thing. Yeah. And and for, for you to stand up and say, we need to draw a line. We need to have a wall. We need to... All those things, I think, are very pragmatic. They're very logical, but they they make other people from the outside that are getting no information about you look at you, Sheriff Lamb, and say, "Oh, he's he's just a prick. He's just or I'm a know, racist. Yeah, or, or whatever. whatever." So says them who don't ever come down Correct. here and actually do this mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, it's hard. Um, I got the the same Congresswoman from Washington. The other question she asked me is, "What about all the good people that are coming across?" So I said. Okay, Madam Congresswoman, if I were to tell you that I'm going to bring 10 people to your house, mm-hmm. five of them are good and five of them are bad, but I can't tell you which ones. <laughs> are you going to let them in your house? And she goes, she was quiet. And I said, you know why you're quiet? Because you know you would never do that. Mm-hmm. And if you did that, I would tell you you're crazy. I said, let me take it a step further. What if nine of them were good and one of them was bad, but that one bad one was a sex offender, a child rapist? Would you be okay if I let them in your house? She's quiet again. And I said, you're quiet again because you know the truth of this. I said, my job as a sheriff, I get that there's good people. And guess what? We have a process in place for that. If the process sucks, talk to Congress and Senate about that. They're the ones responsible for it. But we have a process in place for that. And we ask that they follow that process. I want you to come here and be an American. Just like come enjoy what America has to offer. But we need to make sure that they follow the appropriate process. What is not okay is to come across illegally because at that point you're all criminals per the law. You're all committing a crime, but I have to, my job as a sheriff is to keep the month the wolves from the, no offense yeah. to keep <laughs> okay. the wolves from the sheep. Yeah. And so if there's one in there, guess what? I got to stop all 10. Yeah. I'm a pescatarian wolf. So there you go. Uh, you uh, fish. Yeah, yeah. Sheep, they can go on living. I taste meh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all beef. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, by the way, Sheriff Lamb, how are, how are you on time? I know that we we gave you uh, about an hour and a half. We're we're coming right up. Yeah, on I probably about uh, twenty more minutes. Cool, perfect. awesome, perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's, it's it's just it's 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 interesting to watch all this unfold in real time. I have to say. Um, so well, you know, though unfolding, I almost see that as allowing something to happen. Yeah. And that is kind of the real problem. Well, well my question is... Because I think 
everybody is watching stuff unfold instead of trying to do anything about it. Well, my, my question specifically for the politicians, and uh, I mean, I've, I have not spoken to our, our representatives here. Uh, one day I'd love to. I mean, it'd be really yeah. nice to, you know, as you were mentioning, speaking to Buttigieg or something. Um, yeah. But uh, I, you know, I haven't spoken to many politicians, but the, the thing that I really struggle with is why do they feel the current desire to side with the worst possible ideas? It's like we can all agree that, you know, immigration has the problem. Where's we the moral talk about compass reform. is what you're saying. Well, really. it, it maybe, maybe yes. For me, it is. My yes. But, but again, I want to also say, where's the logic? Because, you know, preceding morality is logic. You have to think that morals make sense. And, and for whatever reason, it seems like almost every politician's maybe specifically on the far left, just, just goes right over their head. I, don't, I will I don't tell understand. you, both sides broke the system. Yes. Republicans and Democrats. Lobbyists broke the system. Mm. The, the failure to have term limits has broken the system, mm. both for co- politicians and for uh, for judges. Mm. Um, if you've watched The Swamp, go watch. If you haven't watched The Swamp, go watch The Swamp. It's with uh, Matt Gates and a few other congressmen. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how Republicans, Democrats, not only are they trying to raise money for their own campaigns, but then the Republican Party will say, hey, here's your bill for this month. It's 60 grand, $64,000. And this, you know, this politician says, well, how am I supposed to pay that? Like I'm trying to raise money for my own campaign. Oh, go talk to the bull. He'll throw a fundraiser for you and you'll make that money. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, is then you go do that and then you're over the barrel. That's interesting. And so... Do you think that's why there's so many, uh, you know, current DAs that are affiliated with the Soros moves and all that? Well, that's by design to undermine the rule of law Yeah. Um, to get them in there. And then they're once again, they're beholden to whoever got them in there, the powers that be. But when you go into Congress and Senate, um, everybody's being controlled by different lobbyists, special interests. So if I present to you a bill that you really don't love, but you know what? I threw in some stuff for years, you know, for, or that company that gave you that money says, Hey, we really need this contract for the roads. So we really need you to vote on this, mm-hmm. you know, and that the self-preservation kicks in. You want to stay in the office, pays 174,000. I mean, all these things come into play and then the pressure of all the politicians on your side, I will tell you, I would not make a good Congressman or a Senator because you're one of, of 50 or a hundred when it comes to senators and you're one of three, two, four, 35 on Congress. And so I would be like, Hey, look, 80% of this bill is okay, but 20% sucks. You need a line item veto. Like you got pork in there. Yeah. My philosophy is, is anything longer than the constitution should be vetoed. Like well, if, if it's not a two or three page bill, then, then, Take it that back. would be a hundred percent vetoes today because most yeah. of those things are like a thousand pages. Oh my god! I would, if yeah. I was crazy. a president, I'd veto every one of those. Yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> so that's the problem, mm-hmm. and term limits would have solved it. Now I always ask myself, how did the founding fathers? They were so wise, and and I think most of it was divine intervention, but um, they were so wise as to how they set this up. And I thought, how did they miss this two years and no term limits on? On Congress and, and in particular Senate. Well, I think a lot of them probably didn't expect for us to be in the current state of uh, hedonistic decline that we currently are. I think that well, might I'll tell you what it was. 
was planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't foresee that. Yeah. So what it used to be is a guy used to have to go to D.C. for two years. The founding fathers didn't want some guy to get locked up in D.C. forever mm. because he was a farmer. He was a businessman exactly. back in his own community. Exactly. And so what they would do is they said, let's make it a two-year term so that the next guy can go home. And I'm like, hey, um, I just went back. Wolf, it's your turn to go back out and to D.C. and represent us. Mm. Nobody, I don't think the felony fathers ever believed anybody would want to do this as a career yeah. and be there long term because it was it was logistically demanding. You know logistics. Logistically, it, w- it was not, it, you just were away from your family too long. And so planes, trains, and automobiles made it Changed so you it. could come and go exactly. as easy as you wanted to. Mm. And you could... Keep that cushy little one hundred seventy-four thousand dollar a year job um, with some crazy good benefits. Well, and you mentioned the lobbying thing a second ago because you know regulatory capture, having all those, you create the regulations for certain businesses. You know, every every damn regulation out there is is as far as I can see is cited for bigger and bigger business, and that's coming from a small businessman. And so that's that's my beef for the night. But but so this so these regulations are created. And then those those groups that are being regulated capture those regulators with their lobbying money, and it's just this vicious cycle. And so, if if eventually you're going to be voted out of office of that hundred seventy four thousand dollar job, you've got a place to land. So it becomes a job. Period. It becomes a lifelong thing. It becomes uh, Papa Pelosi grabbing every every. Uh, stock there is out there to and, and alcoholic beverage yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had some road so he had some ass. good times going on <laughs> it's yeah. crazy well it I, I mean i think the unfortunate part is a lot of this trickles down as i said earlier to you know the state of policing and where we currently are with i mean the, the problems that we're facing you know obviously everything that happened with blm was terrible everything that happened with any of the situations that were championed by that movement i think were terrible um you know what do you think has been the overall catalyst though when it comes to maybe the pop culture shift against policing because you know the events surrounding as i said surrounding floyd were terrible but it's not as if people haven't witnessed you know, the deaths of individuals on, you know, live PD or, or in the news. I mean, it seems like there was almost like a, as you said, universal shift to like saying, well, yeah, now the police is like the main problem we have to solve. It's not a drug use or, you know, immigration deaths or sex trafficking. It's the police that are the problem. Well, it, it's, it's like they took this focus on, in my industry, in the logistics industry, everybody demonizes the drivers. Yeah. They, they think they're, they're cowboys. They're out there doing their thing. And they are the most important part of the whole transportation mechanism, Mm, period. Just like the officers on the ground. Yeah. Interfacing both with normal everyday citizens and criminals alike and all the different things they have to react to. I mean, why demonize that group? Was it Pew Research that that we looked at the other day that said, I I think the police one has gone down a little bit as far as it was Gallup. It was Gallup poll. It was Gallup poll. It was just came out the other day, and it was talking about the view. So, you might say, "Well, yeah. I want to get this question for Sheriff Lamb though first, because because oh, yeah, you know, since 2017, you obviously have probably seen the shift firsthand. I mean, what do you think what that that catalyst was? Was it really just George Floyd, or do you think no. there was it's something else? I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna simplify it. It's evil. Yeah, this is evil. This is a battle of good and evil. Mm. You love Alexis de Tocqueville. Yeah. 
Alexis de Tocqueville said in one of his things, he said, and for anybody not, you know, who don't know who Alexis de Tocqueville is, he was a Frenchman who was sent here by the French government to understand the American penal system and the Constitution and what, you know, what was making America tick at the time. And he wrote four volume series called Democracy in America. Mm -hmm. And in there he wrote one piece. He says, I search for the, uh, the greatness and genius of America and her commodious harbors and in her ample rivers. And it was not there in her fertile fields and in her boundless prairies. And it was not there in her rich mines and in her vast world commerce. And it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness. Did I understand the greatness and power of America? Mm-hmm. America was great because she was good. And if America ever ceased to be good, America would cease to be great. We have no longer, we have gotten away from the values that this country was built on. I'm not saying that somebody needs to go to church every Sunday, but to, to believe in a higher being and to know, um, to have a moral code about you, to treat one another with love and respect those are things that we've gotten away with, and those are directly related to evil. Yeah, um, undermining the rule of law, not holding people accountable—that uh, is, that is evil. Evil says, "Hey, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. It's okay." And those are evil concepts that that are being pushed in our society, and you have to almost take a—you have to take a spiritual look at it. Mm. You have to look at it from a different angle. And when you do, you'll start to understand what's happening. What if your government was responsible for COVID? What if your government was doing all of this to take away your freedom? Mm -hmm. You need to ask yourself those questions. Now, I'm not saying that may or may not be the case, but I'm saying that you certainly need to reflect. If that was the case, then what would be the stance you would take? If you believe that all of these things were to take away the freedoms of the people, how would you react as the sheriff, as me? Mm -hmm. I don't like what I see. I don't like it. I see that this is pervasive in our society. Tolerance is a bad word. We can love one another and, and, and have a difference of opinions, but you forcing me to tolerate behavior that I have a moral uh, objection to is not okay. Like I wouldn't treat you different, but I can, I can certainly, I shouldn't have to say to myself, it's okay that you like little children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not, I shouldn't be tolerant of things that I don't agree with. Um, it's more I than sh- that. You're being asked to cheerlead for it. Yeah. Yes. It's and that, and if control, you're, really. and if you don't, you're demonized and I, that's not okay. But when you really look at it, that's, that's evil. Just, f- overwhelming our society and so when you ask me what it is it's evil yeah you know i i uh i was listening to some maxwell stuff this was a couple of years ago um on a plane ride and he was he was going on about certain things and one of the things he said is look you've either got to believe in a god or you believe you are god yeah, yeah. And if you believe you are god <laughs> you're in real trouble <laughs> you yeah. know so so i think bringing it down to the to, to the simple uh, frame things that you're talking about, evil and good, good and bad, looking at things from a logical standpoint. And the, the, the problem I have with this is trying to 
use my logical brain to determine why people do things that they do. And I have no answer to that. Maybe right. you've got the answer with what you just said. Maybe that is the answer. But it, sometimes it, the difficult. answer is super simple, but mm -hmm. we over we overthink a lot of things in this society, in this world. We really do overthink and mm -hmm. and we find ourselves in these problems and the problems that we created for ourselves. And so sometimes when it's I know in, in law enforcement, when it's when it's at its rockiest, sometimes you just gotta get back to the basics. Um, you asked me about how they blame the police. Rudyard Kipling has a poem called If. And he says in there, if you can keep your head about you and all about, if you can keep your head about you and all about you are, are uh, losing theirs and blaming it on you. Um, and that's truly it. Like having the peace that the, to know what you're doing is a righteous cause and what you're, you're doing your job well and know that you can keep your head about you even when everybody else is losing theirs and blaming it on you. Yeah. And the other thing I would say from that poem that I love is, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, as bad as some things may always be, it's not always the way it appears to be. You see it in my book. I mean, mm -hmm. triumph and disaster are both imposters. You can win all the time. It makes you soft. Mm -hmm. you, you get lazy. You can lose and it makes you hungry. Whether you win or lose today, guess what? You got to redo it again tomorrow. The greatest example, and I'm going to get spiritual again, is the greatest example of triumph and disaster is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. It was the worst thing to ever happen to this world. But it was also the best thing because it ushered in the atonement and the resurrection. And so you have to be able to look at this world, what's going on, and just see it for the experiences that they are. Mm -hmm. There's no triumph. There's no disaster. They're imposters. In the end, life is going to do what it's going to do for us. And it's our responsibility to just be the best that we can be. Treat people good. Yeah. Um, you know, have a good attitude. Work hard. Do those things. That's what we can control. That's what I focus on. And I think that I can't get caught up in what people think of the police or any mm -hmm. of that. Um, I got to keep my head about me. You know, one of the things I, I went through your book and one of the things that really jumped out at me was just how unbelievably transparent you are for a public figure because most public figures are trying to put on some kind of mask. Well, I didn't see any of that in here, you know, and, but I got to tell you, there were a lot of little anecdotal things I really liked about it, but I think my favorite part was the, sometimes you eat the bear eat, and sometimes the it, bear man. eats you. I, you got it. That was, that was really, there's, there's several things like we could talk about that go into, but that part of it I thought was really important to, to grab a hold of. And that was what the purpose of the book was, is to let people know, like life's going to kick you in the face mm -hmm. yeah. over and over again. It's going to maul you. Do you have, that's what it's designed to do. Yeah. Cause it's testing your moxie. I have this shirt that says scars and I write about it in the book in there. And it's from ape man strong. If you want to find the shirt, but ape man strong um and the book the, the shirt just says scars across the front and why that's important is because we all have scars emotionally physical scars spiritual scars but what those scars are is they are our way of telling life that whatever tried to kill us wasn't strong enough mm. scars you should wear with pride 
You know, yeah. and some people really have a hard time getting over the, the bad things that have happened to them in life. And look, I'm not going to tell, tell you that is easy. Some people have been through some really bad things, been abused as children, all those things. But in the end, those scars are going to make you who you are. And you can wear those scars with pride and not be afraid to, to be, you know, open about it. Or you can internalize it and it'll be like a bomb waiting to go off. Yeah. And so I choose to be just open and who I am about things. And, and if people like it, great. And if they don't, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. That's awesome. No, I, I love hearing that. I mean, your, your message is, is, I think, I think that message would help a lot of people. I mean, it's a message of hope and, uh, you know, truth. And I mean, uh, back to the, the quotes we were talking about a second ago, I think John Adams would probably say it the best when it comes to our country. You know, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Right. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Um, but yeah, you know, Sheriff Lamb, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, you guys are great. great. Yeah. yeah. Love the atmosphere. Nice oh, yeah. and laid back. Well, I, you know, I'd love to, for our listeners, where would be the best places for Maybe them to follow and support you uh, in your endeavors? So on Instagram is American Sheriff. Okay. I just got my Facebook back. So that's Sheriff Lamb. <laughs> Heck yeah. Truth Social, American Sheriff, although I got to do better about posting on there. I do have uh, Twitter. I don't use it. Sheriff Lamb one. Um, I find Twitter to be super hateful yeah. Yeah. and uh, not real productive. Um, you can get my, my book and my wife's book. My book is American Sheriff, Traditional Values in a Modern World. And you can get that at sheriffswife.com. I'll send you a signed copy uh, or you can get it on Amazon. And uh, we're going to be having some book, new books coming out soon. So, And then just one more message. I mean, I, I end my book with it and I try to always end with this is, um, with all the chaos in the world and they want you to be, they want you to be, feel that chaos because if you're doing, you're feeling that you're not focused on what needs to be done. And so I always share the part from as a man thinketh by James Allen, which is an, an awesome book. And if, if it's not on your, your monthly reading list, put it on there. It's 60 pages long. You can knock it out in, in a couple hours um, and it is an amazing book, but in there, the last paragraph, which happens to be the last paragraph of my book says, keep your hand firmly upon the helm of thought in the bark of your soul reclines the commanding master. He does, but sleep, wake him. Self-control is strength. Right. Thought is mastery. Calmness is power. Say unto your heart. Peace be still. We all have a commanding master inside of us. You've got to wake him up and get him to the helm of the ship. Doesn't mean that the rough waters are going to stop, but he's going to help you navigate through those rough waters. And really that's what this we need now in life more than ever. So, um, and courage, we need courage. Courageous means not deterred by danger or pain. And that's one thing that I've had to really accept as I've taken these stances against things is there's danger and pain that comes with it. Right. But as Abraham Lincoln says to sin, by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men. And I refuse to be a cowardly man. So I'm going to continue to say what I say and hopefully those who support it can get behind it. And, uh, and I smile for those who don't. That's so right. that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, again, thanks for joining us so much today, Sheriff Lamb. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. 
Thanks for listening to the Wolf and Bull podcast with your host, the Wolf and Bull. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all of the latest from the Wolf and Bull, you can tune in via our weekly episodes available on nearly every major listening platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Wolf and Bull. You can follow us on YouTube at the Wolf and Bull podcast and at our website, thewolfandbull.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.